Hello, thank you for joining us at the church today. Hope everybody's doing well. If you don't know me or don't recognize me as much without my beard, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And I just pray that during this unprecedented time in our nation's history, it seems as though this nation is under attack medically, economically, racially, politically, mentally. I have friends who are currently battling COVID. I, just before I came here, I actually had a conversation with a friend who uh, he's pretty sure that he has it, and I convinced him that it's probably a good idea for him to go to the emergency room to get seen. I've had friends who have had family members passed away. And, you know, and COVID isn't the only thing that's happening in our world and in our life. We're having just racial strife and social problems. We're hurting in a bunch of ways. I, I recently had a friend who committed suicide. Um, and came to find out that I was one of the last ones to see him alive, and that's been, it's been really difficult for me, so pray for me. And I work in healthcare, and in some places the healthcare system is being completely overloaded. And I've been in healthcare for 10 years, and I've never seen an illness or a disease cause what COVID has caused. ERs are full, hospitals are full, it's just, and I know you know, there's been political things about wearing masks and closing things down. And, you know, it's unfortunate that we have to politicize things, the wise thing to do. I found that during this time, I've been grumpier than usual because the way I expected life to be during right now is not how I planned for it to be. I've had a number of uh, bad dad moments during this time. And one that sticks out is I was mountain biking with my daughter recently and, uh, she was behind me a little ways and I heard her scream and immediately I thought, oh, crap, dude, there's a bear chasing me. So without completely slowing down, I was completely stopping. I looked over my shoulder and was like, okay, there's no bear. So I turned around and followed her up the trail. And uh, I, when I found her, she was laying face down on the trail with her bike partially on top of her. And because I'm a, by trade, I'm an ER nurse. I work in surgery now, but mostly an ER nurse. I immediately went into clinical mode. I went into like, okay, I'm, a, I'm not dad right now. I'm a, I'm a healthcare provider, I'm a nurse. So as I rolled up to her, I was watching her and I could see that she was still breathing. So I was like, okay, that's good. And as calm a voice as possible, I said, hey, I said, what happened? And she said, dad, I broke my teeth. So for a 16 year old girl, I met, you can imagine that's probably pretty, pretty devastating. So at that moment I knew Okay, she was awake, she knew who I was, she knew what happened. So the chances of her having like a life-threatening thing going on right at that moment dwindled for me, so I felt better. So I rolled her over and her teeth, sure enough, were broken. And I didn't tell her I was gonna tell this story today, but her teeth were broken, she had blood on her face, she had a cut on her knee. And uh, so just checked her out, made sure she was okay, she could move all her limbs, nothing, no crazy bleeding, anything like that. She didn't knock herself out. And I got her to stand up and she was okay standing up. So then I started looking for her teeth. I was like, yeah, you know, the dentist is probably going to want these. So pretty quickly I found one of her, one of her teeth and I'm so dumb. This is my, this is my bad dad moment right here. I handed her her tooth and said, here, hold this while I'm going to keep looking. And after about 30 seconds, she's like, dad, I feel like I'm going to pass out. And so I helped her sit down and everything and made sure she was okay. And at, somehow, so at some point during all that, she dropped her tooth that I'd found. So we ended up not having any teeth to bring to the dentist. 
And, you know, bad dad moment, I just jumped into clinical time or my clinical moment where I was just like, oh, like, hey, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hand her this. She's okay. Without thinking about the fact that I just handed her a tooth that just a few minutes beforehand was firmly attached to her face. So luckily we got her to the, got her to the dentist the next day. She got fixed up, got her teeth fixed. So everything looks great. And uh, the cut on her knee, she probably could have used stitches, but because I'm a, a healthcare dad, I did not take her to get sutured up. I just put a big bandage of it and over it and called it good. So that's my dad, my bad dad moment there. You know, and that's life. It's just hazardous. Sometimes we fall, sometimes we break, sometimes we lose pieces of ourselves. But God's goodness can shine through everything, even when things happen that can disrupt our lives in a bad way. The title of the message today, I'm calling it Contact Precautions. Seems appropriate with just with the virus and, and disease out there that's getting a lot of people. And there's things going on, this, other things going on in this world and in our country that we have to be careful. We need to be careful if we're going to come in contact with it or try to avoid certain mindsets and thoughts and people and disease. And in Luke 17 is what I think might be one of the most relevant portions of Scripture in the entire Bible concerning what's going on in our nation right now. I was actually going to preach on this Scripture uh, back either the week before Easter or the week after. I can't remember. Uh, but I couldn't do it because my, um, my work schedule changed due to COVID. And uh, as time has gone on, this section of Scripture has become even more relevant to what's going on in the world right now. So there's a man in this uh, scripture that we're going, to fo- we're going to talk about throughout the, the message today that had to deal with all of it. There was social isolation. There was fear, a disease we didn't understand, racism, and hatred. But just like today, Jesus was there. So we're going to look at Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you're the provider of peace during times of of unrest and fear, Lord. And I pray you just bring us peace. Lord, give us wisdom where we need wisdom, Lord. And Lord, just speak to our hearts today. Change our hearts in areas where we may need to change. And Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for your your provision and your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, for in verse 11, some translations say that Jesus happened to be traveling between Samaria and Galilee. And Jesus didn't happen to do anything. He always knew exactly what he was doing, exactly who was going to be there, and exactly what was going to happen. So as a lot of you know, there was a lot of strife and a lot of hate 
between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't like each other at all. The Jews committed this, considered the Samaritans as half-breeds. He considered them to be, they considered them to be worse than even the Gentiles that had no Jewish lineage at all. Historically, it looks like the, one of the times when Israel was conquered, most of Israel, the nation, the people in the nation were taken um, and put into exile. And, but some were left behind. And the ones who were left behind, it looks like they intermarried with other people who weren't Jewish and then became the Samaritans. And there were offenses when, you know, the story of Nehemiah, when people from Israel returned to, to Jerusalem and to Israel, and they had problems, and they, they came back, and then there were problems with the Samaritans, and just offense after offense, pain after pain, hurt after hurt, and there were just things that happened for generations that they just could not reconcile between each other. And the Samaritans, they did have some common beliefs with Israel. They believed in the same God, they believed in what God did with Moses getting the Israelites out of Egypt. They believed in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. And they also believed that God was going to send a savior or a Messiah who was going to not only save Israel, but was also going to save them because they were part of God's chosen people. But Israel <clears throat> held it over the Samaritans' heads that the temple was in Jerusalem, and that was the only place where you could seek and find God. And both nations or people probably took every opportunity they could to mistreat each other for generations up until Jesus' time. So as we said in the, in the, when I read the scriptures that the Samaritan man also had leprosy, which is a whole other huge set of problems. It was a disease, like I said, that nobody, um, they really didn't understood then. And when, from what I could find, what they called leprosy back in, the, in Bible times was actually a collection of skin diseases. So if anything didn't look quite right, they would take these people, say that they were sinners, they did something wrong, and that's why they got this. And they had to live separately from their families and the rest of society. And since they were grouped together, and many of them had different skin conditions that were con possibly contagious, they actually gave each other these different skin conditions. So what happened to them in the end and what they got in the, in the end was worse than what they started off with. While they were in public, those with leprosy had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so people would know to stay away from them because they didn't understand how it spread. To many rabbis during that time, healing leprosy was like bringing somebody back from the dead. And these people were actually considered the walking dead. You know, maybe the image of lepers throughout history is where the idea of modern-day zombies came from. Their skin was discolored. They probably walked with a limp, maybe had their arms outstretched, depending on where their sores were that were causing them pain. They had no, very little ability to earn any money. Their clothes were probably in tatters because, because they were dirty. They were malnourished, probably exhausted. So when they were trying to say unclean, unclean, it sounded like a garbled moan. And here we thought The Walking Dead was just a TV show based on a comic book. So now Jesus, who just happened to be nearby, was always ready to show the hurting, the outcasts, the unloved, the worthless in society, how much they were loved and how much value they truly had. 
It says in verses 12 through 14 that the 10 lepers met Jesus, but still keeping an appropriate distance because all those around them probably would have started yelling or throwing rocks at them to keep them away. And they were calling out, Jesus, Master, heal us. And it says that Jesus saw them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Notice how he, he saw them. He probably heard them first. He heard them crying out. He heard the pain in their voices. He heard them yelling. But I think when he saw them and maybe saw their faith is when he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Because during that time in the Old Testament, it said in order to be deemed clean from leprosy, the priests had to be the one to say that you were clean. And he didn't heal them right away, but he healed them on the road to see the priests. It took faith for them to turn down the road and start walking again. And they had to yell, unclean, unclean. And they were probably jeered at and ridiculed like they were every time they were in a public place. And then somewhere along the way, the miracle happened. Suddenly they were healed of their, healed of their skin disease. And I wonder if they noticed the leprosy was gone on each other first or on themselves. I can picture them inspecting, looking at their arms and their legs and each other and realizing that the sores and the discoloration and the pain was all gone. And I imagine that they probably were saying, ah, oh, we're, we're healed, let's run to the priests so we can be declared clean, so we can get back to normal again. And I just picture them, the Bible doesn't record like exactly what happened, but I can just picture them all starting to run and the Samaritan man who, in his excitement, started running with the Jews, thinking to himself, like, now I'm part of these guys. Like, I was part of their healing. I can be, be with them and be accepted as an equal. And I think maybe at some point while they were running down the road, one of the Jews maybe looked at him and said, where, where do you think you're going, Samaritan? Our priest won't see you. Why don't you go back to the godless place you came from? And I can just picture the Samaritan man just stopping in his tracks, as the Jewish men just continued down the road, just thinking to himself, like not even an encounter with Jesus, a miracle, a shared blessing, could tear down the wall that was between the Samaritan and the Jewish men. And he may have known these guys for a long time. They may have lived in the same area in the same town for a long time, and then they were gone. And think that maybe the opportunity that the Jewish man had to get back to normal again showed their true reality of their hearts towards the Samaritan. You know, in America today, over the last few weeks, we've seen that there's an entire culture of highly valuable people who are all Americans who feel alone and less than in their own country. And I, like many others, I've shaken my fists at those who have committed these acts of hate. But at the same time, I've also sh shaken my head at those who were rioting and doing violent protests. And God's really been working on my heart about the racial tension in this country and led me to really re-examine my thoughts and my approach and my mindset to this um, over the last few weeks. And I'm not in any way condoning rioting or violence at all. But I can't help but think that if a large number of people 
who are Americans thinks, think that that's what has to happen in order to be heard, then perhaps there's a really bad listening problem in our country. And up until now, statements like Black Lives Matter, Hispanic Lives Matter, Blank Lives Matter used to really get under my skin. I just would say I was one of those who said, oh, you know, life matters. Like, what's, what's wrong with people? But I don't feel that way anymore. And growing up in Arizona, I personally have not witnessed a whole lot of blatant racism. I'm sure there were things that were happening that I was around for that I was probably naive to, that most definitely. But I had wise parents and I had good, good teachers when I, was, when I was little. And I was taught about Dr. King and talking about just judging people by their character and not the, by the content of their skin. And at the same time, probably in like first or second grade, I remember singing the song in Sunday school, Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children of the world. And I remember at a a very young age, I internalized what Dr. King said and that song in Sunday school. And it became a part of who I am, that I don't judge people by their skin color or their race or their heritage. Like, I just, it's just something I've never done. And the first time I ever actually experienced racism or that people thought of each race being different was I was probably in junior high and uh, one of my best friends growing up, uh, his grandparents lived in Guadalupe down in the valley. And if you know anything about that area, it's a, it looks, it's right by Arizona Mills Mall. And then if you happen to drive into it, it, it looks like a small town in like Sonora, Mexico. And it's uh, just a few square miles and it's an Indian reservation that has very strong ties to Mexico. And I used to love, I'd go there with my friends, family, and for family gatherings and parties, and we'd hang out. And I remember one time it started getting dark. And I can't remember if it was my friend's dad or my friend's god, uh, grandfather who were like, hey, once it gets dark, I want you to stay at the house. I don't want you to go anywhere. And man, I was probably maybe 13. And I was so confused. I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't understand. And he was like, he was like, you know, there's people here who may not like you being around here after dark. And that was the first time I was like, wow, man, maybe people do approach things differently. Maybe they didn't have the same upbringing and the same conviction from parent, my parent, from parents and teachers about race. And I try. I attempted to play sports in high school. I was not very good. Well, in junior high, and I went to a very diverse uh, school. And uh, I remember, like, on the football team or the baseball team, when we were having practice or games or in the weight room, there were guys that making comments to me, like, "Come on, white boy, let's do this." Like, making comments to me like that. And I never took it as derogatory. I never took it like they looked down on me or disliked me. I, was, I just thought I was like, these are my brothers on my team and this is a family. And I knew that if anybody who wasn't on the team talked to me like that, these guys that were on the team were not gonna take lightly to it. And I've been, as a white male, I've been accused 
of not liking somebody because of their race for, and I've reacted not nicely. And instead of just considering why, I actually, I would kind of go on the attack and I was just telling them like, hey, and I would call them out on their behavior or on their attitude. And I justified myself, but I didn't look at the reality of the situation and the entire situation of why they might think something like that. But I never got accused by them again of being racist. And up until now, I've been confident, maybe too confident in believing that I'm not part of the racial problem in this country. And I've been content with that. But just because I'm not a part of the problem does not mean I'm part of the solution. God's convicted me that I've just been a spectator. And I recently heard something that has changed my perspective forever. It was a Facebook post by one of the people, by somebody here at this church, and it talked about the shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one that was lost. In Matthew 18, 12 through 13, it says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. There's a large population of people in this country who feel as though they've been led astray and they're lost in their own country. And then the context of finding those who are lost and Jesus telling us to find those who are lost. Black lives do matter. Black lives are precious. And here in America, we're a blessed nation. And it would be easy to argue that whites have been blessed more than other races during, while America has existed. And I think now is the time to consider what we do with the blessings we receive. I think the responsibility of the blessed is, to at some point, is at some point we need to consider what is best for everyone and not just what is best for ourselves and those close to us. Proverbs 11.25 says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one, who wa- and one who waters will himself be watered. I think in this country for too long, those of us who have been blessed have been holding our blessings back. Each of us, no matter what race, nationality, or heritage we are, need to look deep within ourselves and ask God to change our hearts to see the value in all people the way Jesus does. I was talking to a wise friend just this morning, and he said, we are in no way diminished, we are in no way diminished when we lift up our brother or our sister. Now let's go back to the Samaritan man alone on the road. He was newly healed, but he was broken and alone. He probably felt like he was led astray. He's probably asking himself, like, what do I do now? And he thought to himself, why do I need to go to a priest when I can go back to the one who healed me? I think at some point it clicked in his mind that Jesus was the promised Messiah that his, his nation had been hoping for. That he and his people have longed for and been abused and looked down upon and treated poorly. So the Samaritan man ran back to where Jesus was. He dropped to his knees and thanked him for healing him. 
And Jesus probably looked down on us, smiled, lifted him up, asked about the other nine people, other nine lepers who probably, we would have assumed would have been the ones to come back to Jesus to thank him. And Jesus said to him, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And the Samaritan not only found healing that day, but he found salvation. I've heard it said that often we take God's commands more seriously than his promises. Jesus promised to heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free, give rest to those carrying a burden to save us. And following God's command helps us out a lot, but believing in his promises is what, through Jesus is what brings us salvation. And I imagine, I think that after the Samaritan left, a few of the disciples probably came up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, didn't you see that the Samaritan didn't do what you told him to do and show himself to the priests? And I think Jesus probably responded to him with a smile on his face. He said, yes, I'm so proud of him. Couldn't you guys see his faith? Lord Jesus, I praise you for your goodness, Lord. Lord God, I pray you just increase our faith, strengthen our faith. Lord, strengthen our faith in humanity, Lord. Speak to our hearts, speak to our perspectives. Lord, that give us the the strength to, if you're calling us to change our viewpoint or our actions or our thoughts, that we would do that, Lord. Lord God, we know that you see our faith and I thank you so much for your patience and your love for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.